You're listening to a podcast from the Swedish House of Finance, Sweden's National Research Center for Financial Economics. This podcast is for everyone with a curiosity for finance and an interest in academic research. To learn more about the Swedish House of Finance, visit houseoffinance.se. So hello everyone, this is Sarah Ottesen in the Swedish House of Finance studio, signing in for our third podcast of our podcast series. Today we will discuss implications of the Markets in Financial Instruments Directive 2, or the MIFID 2. And to set the stage, I have invited a guest to the studio, the Associate Professor of Finance at SSE, uh, Michael Halling. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Um, so, um, let's get straight into it. What is the MIFID 2? Uh, MIFID 2 is an EU-wide law that, among other things, makes banks and brokers charge investors for the research they provide, rather than bundling the costs into commissions for trading. It became effective in January 2018 and applies to the 31 countries of the European Economic Area, which comprised 28 European Union members plus Iceland, Liechtenstein and Norway. It applies directly to financial market players that are based in any of the European Economic Area member states, as well as to a European branch location of any company headquartered outside of the EEA. Thus, its impact seems to extend well beyond Europe. What would you say that the motivation for MIFID 2 is? Well, I would say an important aspect is to improve the incentives of investment banks and brokerage houses such that they are more closely aligned with perspectives of investors. That's key here. The ban on bundling research with brokerage is explicitly targeted towards removing conflicts of interest that might harm investors because in the old system, investment banks and brokerage houses had interest in encouraging trading, which could bias their research. MIFID 2 also wants, more broadly speaking, to increase transparency and reduce costs in asset management. Ultimately, the hope is that this will lead to an increase in household participation in financial markets. And I think that's ultimately the biggest motivation for it. Okay. So um, this podcast, as we have said, is focusing on the impact of MIFID 2 on um, sell-side research. And therefore, what what would you say is the value of sell-side research? Well, regarding the investor perspective, like basically consumers of sell-side research, there's a large academic literature on sell-side recommendations that shows the existence of substantial abnormal returns associated with recommendation, revisions and revision-based strategies. So from an investor point of view, it certainly seems to matter. One particular study by my colleague Anders Andersson is able to actually document that realized profits instead of paper-based profits are earned by trading on sell-side recommendations. He uses a unique data set that has information on daily net trades. In this study, they also document that recommending brokers capture 40 to 60% of the value of the profits made by their clients through extra commission revenues. On the other side, regarding the firm perspective, it also seems to be important to be covered by sell-side analysts. A paper by my colleague Alexander Lundquist from 2012 shows that on the day of the announcement that the stock has lost all coverage by sell-side analysts, share prices fall on average by 110 basis points. Thus, overall, there is certainly evidence in the academic literature that sell-side research creates value and matters for investors as well as covered firms. But... uh... 
Did MIFID two have any impact on cell side research? Well, first of all, this is going to be difficult to answer given the short time that has passed since MIFID two became effective. According to the popular press, it is certainly the case. One recent headline, for example, reads fund managers slash research budgets and trim their lists of external providers. I am aware of one academic working paper that looks at this question and it finds that 334 European firms lost their analyst coverage completely after MIFID II started. Thus, for these firms, the information environment most likely deteriorated. Furthermore, the same paper documents that analysts issued more hold and sell recommendations compared to when the regulation was not in place and that the stock market reactions to those recommendations increases. Those results would suggest that the quality of sell-side research potentially increased after MIFID II. In some of my own research, joined with Emily Froberg, who is also from SSE, we find that the regulation, which in Sweden was to some extent already implemented in 2016, seems to have led to a reduction in commissions of Swedish equity funds by around seven basis points. While this sounds small in economic terms, it is quite substantial in relative terms and reducing costs is of course always in the interest of investors. Thus, even in the few years since its start, it seems that MIFID II has had a sizable impact on financial markets and it will be interesting to see how these developments evolve in the next few years. To further discuss this, we have talked to a panel of distinguished industry specialists. First up is Urban Funered, CEO at Swedish Securities Dealers Association since February 2019. Urban has more than 25 years of experience from the financial services sector and has during this, his career held senior positions in the legal community, financial services industry and in public policy in Stockholm, New York, London and Vienna. He's also served as a public servant in Stockholm and a diplomat in Brussels. This is Urban's general view on MIFID II. Well, um, as I said, having been a diplomat and having been around the table negotiating MIFID, um, I would say it could have been much worse. Um, and I think we all agree that, you know, it certainly hasn't turned out all that well. So um, I think it's a mixed, mixed bag, actually. Um, but at European level, yes, it's been good in some parts, but there are lots of stuff to fix. Next up, we talked to Christer Linde, who's the head of global research at ABG Sundal Collier. He's also responsible for the strategy team. Christer has worked 11 years for ABG Sundal Collier. Before this, he was seven years at Carnegie in the strategy team there. This is his perspective on MIFID II. Depending who you ask, I think, if you ask the big globals, such as Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs, I think they're pleased and satisfied because the entry of barriers have increased a lot. If you ask a small local player doing um, research in only one country, I think they suffer a lot. Mm. That is the sell side perspective of this. But I think if you take the, the bigger perspective, I think that MIFID II has created um, the winner takes it all also for, for, for research, meaning that, that uh, for example, uh, execution that was mainly on the st pure stock exchanges like such as Nasdaq or Max has moved out to systematic interlicers and other platforms, meaning a company like us, we need to be connected to all different 
structures worldwide in order to execute orders, it has a high cost. And uh, so it's very uh, tough to open a new company to, to, to run the business and develop research and execution. Um, so the IT costs have, have ramped up in general. I think also from a big perspective, uh, documentation have exploded, meaning that when we produce research to clients, uh, they know need to know, have we called them, have they have had a meeting, was it good value or not? They have to set points, money on each meeting. So you need to measure everything you do due to MIFID two, And that had led to the most of the research produced is moving out of third-party platforms such as Bloomberg Research Exchange because there you collect all the data. So that has been a burden, I would say. Um, number two, I would say, is that in the old days, you can say research was for free. You could uh, pretty easily be a small client and uh, do some business, and then you get research on the side, super easy. I think research is, is now an asset you can't get hold on any longer. You need to have a MIFID two agreement, you need to pay a certain amount of fee, and otherwise you don't have access. And one result of that is, for example, that it's very hard to get hold on, on estimates ahead of the report, creating a high volatility. So I think that has, has made a big difference. And um, that has led to that the transparency for example, looking at uh, estimates ahead of reports have decreased, less transparency. So now we're gonna listen to Henrik Didner, founder of Didner and Gerge Fonder. For the past 25 years, Henrik has worked with Didner and Gerge Fonder. Before that, he was at the Department of Business Administration uh, in Uppsala, where he did his PhD in 1993. I think it's good for the end customer, and, and what's good for the end customers is sooner or later good for the industry. If we go back to Michael's earlier comment that an important motivation for MIFID 2 is to improve incentives of investment bank and brokerage houses, do you think that this concern about conflicts of interest are for real? I think as an analyst, you, you're trying to, to, do, to do your, your, go, your good own independent research because the, 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 the in, the, in the end, when you meet the clients, about it's about trust. So. I think when you put a, a rating on a company, you put the rating you think, and you don't care about if it's going to create volume or not. Because if in the moment you start as an analyst to think about that, you I think you are in, in problems. You are lost. You are lost. <laughs> and if you lost the trust against the client, you don't get any, any revenues from that client, that's for sure. Um, so I, I think um, there's all the conflict of interest, but if you handle them well, I don't think that the biggest issue is if you, you, you create research that is, 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 is only ra buy ratings and, and uh, super high target prices, yes, because we hope for big, big business, then you're out of business after a few months probably. That's my best guess. Uh, but I also think if I can add something also to this new um, structure with MIFID 2 and research, I think tendency that we see is that, well, we see a reduced number of analysts out there on the street that's for sure, and uh, the counterparts have uh, scaled down their counterpart list, meaning that the buy side maybe have less counterparts compared to a few years back due to MIFID 2. That also leads to that that um, there are course, a super analysts out of the street and there are less than before. You, you talk to less people. So for example, if you are a big fund in Sweden and you want to have a relation with a, a bank analyst, maybe in the old days you talked to six, seven. Now you talk to maybe one, two. So their value have increased due to that. 
So that is a Tandison that we see right now. Okay, I have a comment on market liquidity then. How do you think MIFID 2 affects trading? I think when we started MIFID 2, uh, most of the trading were on the uh, official stock exchanges. And when I go and talk to him today, I say, so what have we done today? Where we traded for 300 million sec. And how much was on the Swedish stock exchange? At today it was 100 million. Well, what was, was, was what happened with the rest of the flow? Well, we did uh, one third of systemic uh, internizer, and there was dark pool, and there was a uh, period auction. So the, the transparency of flow, if you don't have access to all the platforms, <laughs> has become worse, I would say. Super complex. And the idea from the beginning was to have some kind of tape with everything collected, but it haven't worked out that well. So that I think it's 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 uh, uh, trickier. And I also think if you ask fund manager in general, I think if you go to the transparency, but but also liquidity as such, because you have tightened the spread, but that leads also to the volume of the size are very very thin. So if you want to buy some domestic shares, and you have a volume. It looks like you can trade it on a very good price, but when you put in the money, the, the stock price goes up or down a lot because the liquidity is not there. So then you have to find block trades in order to find the other part in order to trade on a good price. So actually the liquidity has become worse, transparency has become worse from my perspective. I don't know if you... Mm -hmm. Well, there is a point in that definitely, but but if you, we are a long-term investor and okay, it takes perhaps longer time to buy, buy a certain volume of, of a stock and so on, but, but uh, so it doesn't really affect us too much. I can understand it's, it's a problem or other thing for you that actually are doing the things, but and if we pay uh, half a percent more when we uh, accumulate uh, a holding, it's not the very big thing if that should be the case. And you have that combined effect with, for example, the best execution rules that you have to gather data from all or different sources. At the time of MIFID 2, there weren't that many sources, but then with internal system, uh, internal uh, systemic internal uh, internalizes, etc., you know, it it has just you know exploded. So I mean, you I don't know how many kind of venues you do need to look at, but there there are hundreds of them in Europe. Uh, meaning that also, even though at the time of, of the MIFID negotiations, we looked at the consolidated tape, and again, at that time, there weren't that many venues. But even then, we found that it would be difficult, and if we were to have a consolidated tape today, I mean, we really need to look at what kind of information and from what venues do we get th the, that data from. If we go back to sell-side research, how would you assess MIFID 2's impact? I think there was a um, Frost Consulting published uh, report a few years back looking at how much spending there had been on research and uh, they looked 2007 to 2017 and there was a reduction of 65% or so. And uh, when MIFID 2 were implemented they said there was a further 20-30% and at some point we, need we have reached a trough. Maybe this is the trough we have seen. Um, and I do think that the result is very clear that we have seen um, a uh, uh, that there are less coverage of, 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 uh, of, uh, of research covering companies currently compared to a few years back. And I think you, you can find uh, evidence that, you know, 
on average was two handers covered the stock, now it's one hander is ten years later because less money means less coverage. And I mean I met men of the min more smaller mid cap companies. When they lose coverage, they there is a tendency that they lose a bit of access to, to investors and they get not as much publicity and uh, the liquidity takes a hit. Um, so um, I think there are, there are consequences uh, because res less research means less transparency, higher volatility, and perhaps maybe the risk premium goes up, meaning lower valuation of the company. And that has also a fundamental consequence in the end that if your value of the company is low, uh, how will you access new money if you need to? Uh, and um, you also, when you get less attention, you maybe don't build an institutional ownership base in the same way as, as you had an analyst covering the stock and could talk ahead of many fund managers, explain this company should look at. Uh, that has been reduced, I would say. I, it would be interesting to, to know if kind of corporates have changed their behavior. I think there are some indications that they have become aware of the fact that, okay, if we're not covered by that many analysts, we have to be more active ourselves in promoting uh, our, our company, be much you know, better in, in communicating uh, with investors, directly with fund managers, et cetera, and not go kind of via analysts. I'm, I'm not sure if there's been that much re research on that, but that would be a positive, of course. So one aspect that is frequently brought up in the discussion is that commissioned research is more and more replacing sell-side research. What are your thoughts about that? can explain what it is. So first of all, <laughs> we have two types of research. We have the institutional research and uh, where we put uh, a rating, a target price. And, uh, and uh, we get, in order to create that research, I mean, we get paid through the research section and all that. Uh, to me for two. And, um, but if you go down and look at uh, small cap companies, tiny, tiny companies, they really maybe are interesting, but if we look at from a, from a commercial perspective, it doesn't ma add up. We can say we can cover it, but no one wants to pay that money for being covered. So how do we solve that? So then the company has an opportunity to so say, we pay for the research. Uh, but that doesn't lead to that they pay for um, buy research, it's paid for research. But it's not the same research as, as institutional research. You don't have a rating, you don't have a target price, and you, it's up to the investor to decide whether this, uh, this company is interesting or not. It we don't, in the commission research or sponsor research, give a recommendation you should buy or sell the stock. We help the investors to explain, this is the company, this is the pros and cons, uh, this is the valuation and our estimates, but it's up to you in the end to decide as an investor if you want to buy and sell it. I mean, more research is better than less research. Uh, if commission research produce more research, I mean, it's good, and then it's up to the to the fund managers and, and investors to assess what's the quality in it, what does it say, and so on. And we have to check the story with the management and so on. So, mm. for us, it's it's not a big deal. Well, if I can add up something, I, I mean, if you go if you go back from before MIFA two and MIFA two. If you look at our counterpart, it has not uh, decreased, it has increased. Uh, so, so we see that there is uh, demand for research. And I, I think especially when it comes to this sector lead analyst would have uh, maybe 15 to 20 years experience, uh, a very good speaking part on, on a specific sector. Uh, 
but I think that um, the buy side have, 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 what can I say, become more picky. They think about, if I buy this research, what is the value added for me? So they are more um, you know, selective in, in relationship with, with, the, with the sell side. They, they are very clear on feedback, what do we like or not? Um, and um, I think that potentially in the end, the sales side research industry will actually become less commoditized. You need to create some value added. So again, it's good that we're looking at it and what actually consequences are, because when we talk to, to our member firms, uh, as you say, I mean, you know, some have now found business models in you know, where they actually work with. With, with commissioned research and, and also quite a few, I mean, Swedish firms uh, do get, you know, a fair share of, of, uh, of the checks written by, by asset managers in London and abroad because they have provide high quality research, well worth the money. So I think it's certainly so that, you know, these rules have led to some less valuable research kind of getting out of the market, which is a good thing. Um, but then you also have, with the regulations, some uncertainty. I know that at least in the uh, London market, I mean, you uh, research houses can provide trial periods, for example. And you know, we do have a supervisor in this country who that is relatively strict when it comes to interpreting the rules and kind of being best in class. And if you look at how these rules are interpreted in and, and complied with in other countries, I mean. It's great that we have firms who are so advanced that we can comply with the rules, but again, can they do it elsewhere? Um, I'm not sure. So thank you, Michael Halling, for being here with me in the studio today. And uh, thank you all panelists for a great discussion. For our listeners who would like to hear more from us, you can find more podcasts and seminar videos on houseoffinance.se. And if you would like to suggest future topics and guests to invite to our show, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email to podcast at housefinance.se. This is Sarah signing off. Looking forward to talking to you again.